Thanks, John. Uh, well, good evening. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Is, is it too early to say Merry Christmas? It might be a little bit too early. A little bit early for Claire, um, who's the chief Christmas cheerleader of our church. Um, got the privilege of uh, spending a few moments to reflect on that part of God's Word with you uh, uh, tonight. Thank you for joining us. Uh, please stick around for some... T- I've just wandered past and it was tempting not to pick one up on the way up. Um, sorry if you found that video a little bit funny because giving gifts at Christmas is a risky business. I don't really know whether you've realised that. Just Some people just generally find giving gifts together. Of re-gifting something. Put your hand up if you have. Have you ever been guilty enough of re-gifting that you still passed it on. Has anyone done that? No, well I've got a story for you. They had just got married and they came back from their honeymoon and when they get back from their honeymoon there's a large pile of presents waiting for them in their new house. Wrapping the presents. Open the card. It's from who got married a couple of months before out and bought Nathan Bell a really nice toaster, like a top-of-the-line toaster. Not one of those ones you get from uh, from the warehouse for eight bucks. One of those ones that you pay and are leaving for. And they're stoked with this toaster. So they're a little bit hungry from all the present opening, so they take it straight to the kitchen to get it set up and ready to go. Uh, some late-night raisin toast is going to do them well. But as they take the toaster out of the box... Strange. Maybe, maybe uh, Emma and Tim have put an, a, another, even more meaningful box. Dear Tim and Emma, congratulations on your wedding. Enjoy the lovely toaster. Love, Auntie Jill. <laughs> Gift giving can be a really risky business. Risky business because some people are actually just really hard to buy for. Here, our house around September. Andrew, what do you want for Christmas? Can't leave it all too late. Um, blank and say, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't feel like there's anything. I need anything, and so and I can't see anything that I want there. And then I go and look uh, at Mitre Ten and Mitre Ten. So I, I, I go to Noel Leeming and I kind of drool at these kind of eighty-five inch. $10,000. We don't need a new one of those. We managed to fill our houses with so much stuff that we actually don't really need much. And that's not the moral of the story here. Stuff in our lives that, uh, like, to give gifts, we've, we've reverted to giving, like, or Freudian slippers. Get it? Yeah? Or dog socks. I can't ever work out whether dog socks are socks with a face of your dog on them or socks for your dog. Ridiculous presents because we've run out of things to spend our money on. Now, what do you give to the person who has everything? And yeah, give them a voucher. In a moment, forget about the secret Santa or the silly season or that someone special. 
What do you really give to the man who has What do we give the man who has everything? And it's a fundamental question for Christmas Day and for every day, really. We see it in that chapter 2. It's an unconventional Christmas passage, I I confess. Of of the Bible does. It actually gives us a peek behind the curtain of Christmas. It tells us what's really going on in the stable and in the manger as Jesus enters into this world. Because according to that passage, in a stable, he is the man who has everything. That's the point that's made in uh, the, verse 9 in that passage. It's talking about Jesus. And it says, verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him that is the name that is above every name. And that's talking about Jesus, that baby that was born in a manger. That is Jesus, the man who has everything. Now, our family loves uh, watching MasterChef. I usually don't get to see all of it because their favourite time to watch it is in the evenings when I'm at church. Um, but we've just finished the latest series from Australia. And I won't ruin it for those who are watching, but uh, last year they changed the judges. It was quite controversial. The judges were uh, George, Gary and Matt, and they were gone. And in came a new set of judges uh, who you know, asked for significantly lower wages. I think that was what was going on. Um, in came Jock, Mel, and this guy called Andy. And I thought it was strange because Andy looked really familiar. See, it was not that long ago that Andy himself was a contestant on MasterChef. Uh, not that long before, Andy standed on the other side of the benches and he was waiting to see what was inside the mystery box. He was serving up food that was going to be judged uh, by, uh, tasted by the judges and he was sweating it out in elimination challenges. But now after winning MasterChef, it's as though the judges have said, Andy, come and sit with me. Come and sit with me in my place. And he did. And that's a small reflection of what God has done with Jesus. He has exalted him to the highest place. God has said to Jesus, come and sit next to me. And from that point, Jesus is the man who has everything. Everything is now at Jesus' feet. And it's interesting watching MasterChef, as you watch it, the the contestants each week, they have to kind of put themselves out there. They have to show their stuff. They have to, uh, every episode, they're out to prove to the judges uh, that they deserve to win. They're constantly putting themselves above everyone else by doing more difficult and more daring dishes than every other contestant to prove that they, they deserve to be on the top of the heap. But this passage that we looked at that talks about Jesus, it kind of turns that idea on its head. Because Jesus, he gets the top spot, not by winning or not by proving that he was the best, but he gets there through humble service. That's the essence of the Christmas story, isn't it? That's the kind of ironic twist. Jesus, the man who has everything, he got there by giving everything. Instead of kind of grasping for power for himself, showing off what he's got, he made himself nothing, it says. But have a look in the uh, verse 6 on the sheet that you've got there. Verse 6, it says, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The one who in his very essence, his very nature, God, he gives it up and he becomes a man. He becomes a baby in a manger. 
And he doesn't just become a man, but he becomes, a, it says, a servant. And he goes even further. How low can you go, Jesus? He's not just a servant. It says that Jesus humbled himself to death. If you didn't think you could go lower than that, it's death on a cross, the ultimate sign of humiliation. And look at what it says in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now why would Jesus do that? Why would he humble himself so low? Why would he subject himself to being tortured and crucified on a cross? Well, he did that to give us the greatest gift. To give his life for ours, to die death in our place. You see, as Jesus humbles himself on the cross, as he humbles himself, he takes our sin and our judgment and our death, and he takes it on himself, and he gives us life. You probably have heard John 3.16 before, and there's a good reason you've heard it before. Because it kind of takes this so clearly. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And because of that, because he died in our place, God raises him up and God says, Jesus, you sit here with me. Your name is above every other name. Because Jesus made himself nothing, because he came as a man, because he died on a cross, he gave us life. And so God exalts him in heaven. And so it says there in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The, one, the man who was infinitely humbled in your place, well, he's now the man who has everything. He has everything. He has given everything to you and he now has everything for himself. So what should you give him? What do you give the man who has everything? You're not going to find it at Kmart or in Mitre 10 or Noel Leeming. What do you give the most important person in the universe? The one who has given you everything? Well, verse 10 is a bit of a, a gift list for you. You know people who they write off... A list here. Here's, I've got a I've got a brother-in-law who's got a, a gift lift as long as your arm. He's always got. He always knows what he wants next, which is like super helpful. But here's a gift list from Jesus, verse ten. If we realise what God has given us in Jesus, here's how we should respond. Actually, start at verse nine. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the gift list for you. What do you give the man who has everything? Well, you give him your absolute allegiance. You you say to him, you're the boss. You bow the knee to him. Because God has taken him from the lowest place, born in a stable, the life of a servant, dying on a cross and because of that God has put him in the highest place and so for the one who has everything, the one who is in the highest place the only thing we can give him is everything, our very selves and the way that we do that, it's actually, uh, it tells us a bit how we do that in this passage, the first way we give him everything is that we, 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 we humble ourselves, the first step in giving him everything is humility 
Uh, we saw that in the opening verses of that chapter. It's a fascinating thought. Uh, uh, what, does it, what does it mean to bow the knee to the master of humility? Well, it means mastering humility yourself. And so as it said in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Instead of looking out for number one, it says, verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Because in the words of verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing. Now, can I put that to you as a Christmas challenge between now and the end of the year? See how you go. You see, Jesus is the name that is above every name. And ultimately, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And so what do you give the man who has everything? Well, you're giving him anything less than all of your life will be falling desperately short of what he deserves. And so we need to dethrone ourselves and embrace humility learning to serve like he has served us. Give him our life and our allegiance. That's exactly what we're supposed to give the man who has everything. That's what we're called to give Jesus, the one who has given us the greatest Christmas gift. I'm going to pray, and then I'll tell you what we're doing next. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus has given us the greatest gift. And Lord, we really pray that we might give him our lives in humility. Lord, he is the one where every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And so, Lord, help us to bow the knee to Jesus. Help us to say, Jesus, you are the king. I'm going to follow you. And Lord, help us to live this life of humility following Jesus, seeing others as better than ourselves. And Lord, we pray all of this in his name. Amen.